Thank you very much, Mr. Roboto. All right. Good morning again, everybody. So last week we talked about uh, tools given to us by the Holy Spirit and tools we are encouraged to use to help us stand strong in battle. Specifically, we are talking about spiritual battle last week, right? Uh, the idea this month is I'm supposed to give you a bunch of tools, a bunch of methods, um, some definitions of mechanical roles, that type of thing. So I guess Mr. Roboto is really like spot on for this month. Um, I do have a couple of questions for you just to begin with. Uh, of course, it was my hope over the last week that you entered into any interaction with the perspective of using those tools that we talked about spiritually. We talked about uh, putting on the, the armor of God, just to, to sum things up, right? We talked about using the tools that the Holy Spirit gives you uh, to, to put those things into action. So, how many of you girded your loins with the belt of truth? You have to think about that for a little bit. How many of you put all of your thought processes both in and out through the filter of salvation? How many of you tread with the shoes of peace wherever you went? My, uh, my mother-in-law posted this thing on Facebook. I don't look at Facebook that often, but when I do, you know, I just see weird things, which is probably why I don't look at Facebook that often. Uh, she posted a thing that said, people are like garbage trucks. And I had to think about that for a while. And then there was a, an attached video with basically this guy getting into uh, an Uber, and as the driver begins to take off, somebody cuts them off, pulls them for, in front of them and pulls up to the curb, but kind of crooked. And then the person that pulled in front of them, as they stop short, gets out and starts yelling at them. And the driver just sits there, waves, and smiles. And the passenger's like, I don't understand. Why, you're just gonna sit there and take that from him? And he's like, people are like garbage trucks. Day in and day out, they get dumped on. They take on garbage, they accumulate it, they pack it on, and it comes to a point where they just can't take any more, and then it starts spilling out all over the streets. And I have the choice to either continue to take on the garbage that they're now dumping out all over the streets, or to not pick it up and just wave and smile. It kind of makes sense a little bit. But it's a very simplistic way of looking at things, and it's not, it's not spiritually minded. Spiritually minded would then be involving in a conversation, nay say a, a relationship with this person to help them instead of just smiling, waving, which I don't know if, if I'm in... If I flip that switch, I, I got to be honest, I know it doesn't seem like it. I have a temper. I have a temper that I have worked for the past 36 years to try to put things into perspective and try to control so it doesn't come out. So that it doesn't come out in non-constructive ways. 
and I try to control my anger so that it's used as an appropriate tool. So there might be a time where you see my righteous anger come out, and that would be appropriate. Unfortunately, I have slip-ups on a daily basis because I drive in Portland. But with that, I should be, as I work through this, prepared to uh, not just see that guy smiling and waving, which would infuriate me, but to engage in conversation to help to make sure that we're both getting to where we need to go. We're both doing what we're supposed to be doing. So that not only does he no longer feel like that garbage truck, I don't feel like that garbage truck. Filtering your thoughts through the helmet of salvation. How many of you practice sword drills in your Bible? Where does it say, in the beginning is the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God? I heard a few of you call out John. That is literally the beginning of John 1.1. 1, 1. This is the type of thing that you should be doing on a regular basis. Becoming so familiar with the Word that you know where things are found. Or at least where the subjects are found, right? So that it's categorized. With our spiritual selves addressed, and it's something that we'll continue to work on, uh, not just this month, but obviously throughout our lives, to strengthen ourselves spiritually with the tools that we've been given, let's move on to a few things that we can do to um, prepare ourselves, tools that we can use in a more physical manner, or a physical action on that. So i got to say, we're going to read uh, some passages in the Bible here. Specifically, we're going to read in Joshua uh, 1 through 9. Not chapters 1 through 9, verses 1 through 9 of chapter 1. But we're going to look at Joshua, and there's going to be four things that we're talking about today. And as we read through this passage, I just want you to think about what these things may be. And some of them may seem rather obvious to us, and some of us uh, may not have even considered that these things are tools. Uh, so, Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses, wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the, the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all of the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything that is written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. 
This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Did you pick up on a theme? I would hope that you did. So just to set a little bit of a picture for you, this is right after Moses has died and Joshua is getting set to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Now this is not an easy task. This is not an easy task by any sense of the word. First of all, just the physical boundaries that, uh, that are there. So the Bible tells us uh, that the Jordan River, it's the harvest season, so it is overflowing its banks. Any of you uh, remember the flood, was it, what, 96? The Willamette actually overflowed it, its banks. And uh, I mean, I go to my doctors in Oregon City and they have a sign on the wall and it says 1996 flood, showing where the line was. And it's, it's like up here and that's, uh, that's downtown Oregon City. So I want you to imagine a river swollen with so much water it can't be contained where it normally flows. This is how rivers change their course. And Joshua is told, you need to cross that river. And then, what's going to await him on the other side of the river? Well, coming up in the next couple of chapters, you have the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho, whose walls were built beyond imagination. The city of Jericho that was a strong hold in the region that they were about to enter. That feared no army. So not only does he have to cross a raging river, not just by himself, but with all of the Israelites behind him. He has to lead them across this, and then he has to lead them into battle against a very strongly fortified city. This is his first task as the leader since Moses has died. And God says to him, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid. I will be with you just like I was with Moses. Powerful. Not only is it powerful, it is a repeat of what he had been told word for word by Moses before Moses had passed away. Do you think, you think Joshua in that moment is even the least bit worried? I would have to go with no. Joshua followed his instructions, right? He was told to be strong. He was told to be courageous. And these attributes, these tools may seem trivial, but it's a powerful place to come from. First of all, like I said, this uh, message wasn't just told to him then by God. It was told to him previously by Moses in the presence of the people. You see two examples in Deuteronomy, which is the last uh, instruction manual that Moses wrote down. You see two places in Deuteronomy where Moses says to him this exact thing, be courageous, be strong. One of them is in the presence of all of the people. As he says to them, Joshua is the one that will lead you from here on out. 
pray for him that we, he would be courageous and strong. These are important things for Joshua to be. These are important things for us to be. I know it's kind of weird to think of something like courage or strength to be tools that can be used, but they are. Those aren't just attributes that we would possess. Those are literal tools in our physical, emotional toolbox to use in any situation that we find ourselves in. We have to stop looking at those things that come to us as just, well, that's just kind of who we are. But to put those things into practice, realizing that they're actual tools for us. So let's look at be strong, first of all. This is from the Hebrew word chazak. It's kind of it's got that phlegmy H at the beginning, right? It's, uh, it's spelled C-H-A-Z-A-Q. Chazak. I put down on my notes, Flemmy H at the beginning. Now, here it's translated as to be strong. What comes to mind when you think about be strong? Stare at James in silence. Arm wrestling, right? You're thinking like the, right? Get the guns out. Be strong. The world has this idea of be strong, and that idea of be strong is this individual who can stand by themselves in the midst of a torrent, right? We see somebody that's battled many trials, that's gone through many things, that's had so much loss, and we say, you're being strong. You're an inspiration to me because you're standing strong in this torrent all by yourself. All right. You're strong. You're an individual that's not going to be bent by these winds of misfortune. That's not what God told Joshua to be. God didn't tell Joshua to be strong, to rely on himself, rely on his strength, rely on his uh, stamina, his ability to stand strong, stand strong in, against a current of misfortune. To stand strong, to be strong, hazak, is to be bound fast to. That means there is something other than Joshua that he is supposed to rely on. He is supposed to rely on it so much. It's as if he is joined permanently with it. As if the two had become one. He is bound fast to. This is not an individual thing. We have a tendency to think about someone who's strong as someone who's an individual, who doesn't need anybody, and that is not what's being said here. God is saying, be bound fast. Be bound fast. He must have, therefore, a component that is bigger than him. Something that is stronger than him. 
that he can be bound to. It would not make sense for God to say, be bound to this bale of hay. Be bound to this young sapling tree. Or even be bound to this beach sand. Be bound to this rock. We're getting closer. He is to be bound to God because God says, do not be afraid. I will be with you just like I was with Moses. This is a call for Joshua to stand strong with God. And on top of that, you throw in the second tool. Because it wasn't just be strong. It was to be courageous. To be strong and be courageous. Now it's interesting here because the Hebrew word that's translated as courageous can also mean to be strong. But there's an added element. The Hebrew word here is amates. It's a lot easier to pronounce. There's no <laughs> amates. A-M-A-T-S. And this Hebrew word, while it includes being strong, it doubles down on the strength thing, it adds another component. To be alert. To be alert and strong. See, this is important because he's not told just to fasten tightly to the Lord, but in that strength and fastening tightly, he is called to be alert to what's going on around him. He's not supposed to blindly follow. God doesn't want him to be a robot. God wants him to be alert and aware of what's going on around him and to head in that direction, knowing that if he's bound firmly to him, he will never go astray. It's almost like, uh, I don't know, what, a relationship? It's amazing, right? This is what all relationships should be. So you have Moses saying this, you have God saying this, be strong, be courageous, and God says not to be afraid, don't be discouraged, so don't be the opposite of what I just told you to be. Wherever you go, God is with you and you are to fasten yourself to this and be alert in your strength. Tell me that's not encouraging. And if it's not encouraging, we need to have a talk after service. This should light you on fire. I can barely contain myself. In addition to this, Joshua was told to follow the book of instruction given to him by Moses. Not just to follow it, but to study it day and night. To meditate upon it. To obey it. 
If only we had something that we could look to as a book of instruction to follow this just like Joshua was given. As leaders, we should be strong and courageous like Joshua. We should be using that strength being tied to God, that courageousness being alert in our strength as tools in our relationship with God and in our relationship with others. And we are given a book of instruction. We are given God's word. In fact, we talked about it last week as one of our spiritual armaments, our spiritual tools that we can use. I don't know about you, but this has told me a lot about life. This is the best tool I've ever used. And no, I've never tried to put a nail into the wall with it. That's what wrenches are for. This tool is our biggest and it is our best tool. It's simple, and yet it's complex. The Bible is simple, and yet it is complex. So what does that mean? How can we illustrate that? Uh, how many of you know how to dig holes? Jacqueline does. Oh, okay, a few more people. All right, good. So if I give you a trowel, Small gardening shovel, right? Can you dig a hole with that? Can you be successful in digging that hole? Will it be the best hole that you can make with that trowel? It'll do some damage, right? You'll make a nice, nice size hole with it. What if I was to give you a nice big shovel, and I was to give that to you and say dig a hole, would you be able to successfully dig a hole? It'd be a nice hole, right? Probably a lot bigger than the one that you made with the trowel. It'd, it'd have more depth to it, literally, one would hope. Now, what if I was to give you a backhoe and ask you to dig a hole? Would you be able to dig that hole? It would take a little training, right? Well, some of you... you know, you know, you were trained a long time ago, right? You got it down. Some of you would be a little bit clunky at the controls, right? You'd have to figure out, oh wait, this lever does what? This one does this? You'd need more instruction. You'd need uh, maybe even someone to help train you in the proper usage of all the levers and pulleys and whatnot. So, the Bible is simple. Just reading the Bible without anyone's help can lead you to an everlasting revelation about your life. Anyone can read it. There are over 600 translations. It's available, and if it's not available in a language that you understand, people are diligently working as I speak to make that happen. I can guarantee it. Super accessible. Then throw in the, the whole modern-day technology with the Internet. Anyone can get this. 
even if they have to smuggle it in across a river. So the Bible is available. It is simple to use. It's like a trowel. You can dig a nice little hole, and it'll have some depth to it. You'll gain some traction. Now the danger is, is if you stay there, if you don't dig any deeper, and unfortunately, in America, we have numerous examples of people that have seen the Bible, they have used the Bible, they have had that life-changing moment, and then they just kind of sit there with their nice little hole because they made some change. Look, here's a hole. And then we also see people that have been given a little bit more tool-wise with the Bible, and they have a little bit deeper understanding, and they've read it more, and they've you know, started a daily devotional. They go to a Bible study or two. They converse about the word. It's on their minds. Oh, this is great. It's being explained to me. I'm explaining it to other people. I'm reading it. I feel good about this. Look at this large hole that I've bit. It's amazing. I have made some change. And that's good. And then you have the people that have really torn into the word. They have done everything they can to do as Joshua was instructed and to read it and to obey it and to meditate on it day and night. And they are like the people with the backhoe, able to move a great deal of dirt and to big a bigger, bigger hole. You know, you use a backhoe to dig the hole before you pour a foundation. How many foundations are you digging down with a trowel? Maybe a little birdhouse on the ground. Don't recommend it. That's where the cats are. So the Bible has more available. You can dig deeper. You can begin to discover concepts that are radically different, that can change your life even more than just simply reading through the Bible. There are additional tools to help you do that. I've brought a couple of them up here. We have some nice things like, oh, commentaries. What a commentary does is it takes specifics. This is Galatians through Philemon. And you have different uh, theologians. There's, there's uh, one, two, well, there are three doctors on here. So these are people that have gone to seminary, they've studied, they've uh, focused their education specifically around understanding God's Word. And they're going to walk through step-by-step step some of the information that's in the Bible and they're going to share with you what they have uncovered, and some of it's going to be wrong. Does that mean that we throw the whole thing out? This is a valuable tool. It should not be thrown out. It should be utilized and put in its proper context, and it should never replace you reading your Bible yourself. But it can come along and assist you. Think of this as the uh, quick guide for using your backhoe. 
Doesn't give you the full instructions, doesn't tell you the PSI that the hydraulic fluid is supposed to be operating at, but it tells you how to pull the right levers to get the job done. I have here a book on New Testament history. We have several different types of these that are available to you. And what this does is it helps you to understand the Bible in the context of what was going on historically when these books were written. So this can help you to gain better understanding of the Bible. Because one of the things that we do, just naturally, is we read the Bible and we say, oh, well, evidently this is what I'm supposed to be doing in my modern day life. But we're not taking into account the context who it was written to, when it was written, what was going on in history, what their understanding would be, what's being left out because it didn't need to be said there was such a deep understanding of that concept in their minds and hearts already. Just for frame of reference, last week as I talked about Pentecost and I talk about the 3,000 that were added to the church, they had an understanding of God's word because they were Jewish. And their day was filled with readings. Their, their uh, trips to the temple were filled with readings of Isaiah and the prophets on a regular basis. So when the apostles spoke to them in their own languages that they understood, they already had a base level knowledge of who the one and only true God was. that had a major effect on that type of rapid growth. It was a factor. These kind of things will help you to, to understand that. Then I have this big book. This is my favorite. This is also, I'll, I'll be honest, it's archaic. I've had this long enough that it's archaic. And I think I may have gotten this from a second-hand store. Or, no, was this passed down from? Oh, I got this for. Okay, I got it for Christmas, but it was from a second-hand store. Uh, the uh, Strong's, not just the Strong's, the strongest Strong's Concordance. Now, uh, when it says Strong's, that is actually uh, Dr. James Strong. And this gives us, uh, gives us context, it gives us uh, specific words and how many times they appear in the Bible. It gives us the Hebrew, it gives us the Greek, uh, it gives us all of this great information in this one small compact book that's easy to carry with you. We have two of these in our library here at the church. So as I'm going through these different things... I want you to keep in mind, these aren't just things that James has and James uses and you should go get your own. Uh, you should, but if you happen to be in the want of, I say, borrowing one, I believe there's something called a library. Oh, and if you have any questions about the library, you should see Jasmine, who would be more than happy to talk about these books, which are in their library. So, keep that in mind. Now, when I say it's archaic, I do mean it's archaic because we have the modern age 
Jacqueline, you want to put up that first thing? This is the Bible web app. This is one thing that I used for today's sermon. In addition to my Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, because I have another copy of this at home. You'll see when I said that it was mentioned uh, by Moses also two times that he should be courageous, he should be strong, and he should be courageous. Uh, Deuteronomy 31.23. Then he commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them. Up above a little bit too. It like changed from what I had it, so it was kind of weird. So and also previously in Deuteronomy 31, it mentions the exact same thing. Uh, yeah, just up a little, there you go, 31.7. Moses called Joshua to him and said, In sight of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with the people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. So, the Bible web app. In addition to that, uh, can you switch tabs to the Blue Letter Bible tab, please? This is the Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible is great. There's an app for it I can use on my phone. I use this frequently as well. Now, as I look at Joshua 1.6 specifically, this allows me to look at what's called interlinear. I can look at the different languages and I can see be strong, which leads me to some word in uh, Hebrew that I can't read. But I can press on the icon and it reads it to me and it tells me how to pronounce these things. You, I don't think it's not hooked up. Don't do that. But... Because then you'd compare my pronunciation to it, and it, we don't need to go there. So the first one, be strong, that's the hazak with phlegm. Uh, and courageous, that's the amates. Uh, this allows me to not only see these words, but to see how many times they're used in the Bible, how they're translated differently in the different sections that they're used. This is something that's available, and it's free, and it's really super easy to use that's on the, the web as well. So you have the, uh, dare I say, old school method, which is still valid, and I highly recommend it. Physical books do have a place in our life. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Go see Jasmine. Check things out. But we also have things that are available that you can carry around on your little computer, uh, in your phone, uh, or on your um, your tablet, or what's this, a Chromebook? How fancy. So there's different tools that you can use to understand what? This. Notice that I have in my hand a physical Bible, which you can find multiple online Bibles as well. All of these tools that I'm talking about don't replace a first-hand understanding of this. They are tools to help you understand this. They are the full operator's manual to understand how to operate your backhoe correctly. 
so that you can deal, deal with all of the dirt. You can clear it out so that you have a nice, clean area for that foundation to be built. It's so much easier than just using the trowel by itself. Now, the one thing that I can't put up on the screen, but is a tool to help you with your Bible, would be a Bible study. Now, you should be involved in a Bible study in addition to your own personal study of the Bible. Now, it so happens that we do have two Bible studies. We call them heart scribe because the intent is for God's word to be scribed on your heart. I didn't come up with that. That was like a genius or something like Josh. And the whole idea is that we don't just take the verse and we say, oh, hey, this is a nice verse. Let's study this verse. But we actually look at things like the context. Who was this written to? Why was it written to him? What was going on at this point in history? All of these things are discussed. So every other Tuesday, you can join us at 6.30, either here or at the Snows residence, and I can give you directions to that. And we'll be going through Ecclesiastes. We just started. Yes, it is the time and the season to go through it. And you can also join oh, uh, Adam and Colin on Fridays at, was it 8.15 now? 8.30? I was off. But if you get here a little early, I don't know. Uh, so, uh, and what are you guys studying right now? First Peter. I wanted to say Romans and I knew that was wrong. That was a, a while ago. So, and that happens each week, uh, just not this one. Fridays. So yes, we talked about the Bible last week as a tool for your spiritual being, but it has a profound effect on the physical part of your life as well. We like to do this thing for some reason in the world where we take our spiritual lives and we take our physical lives and we try to separate them, right? Uh, so we act one way here, we act another way there. Uh, when I'm at church, I'm all hallelujah and praise God. When I'm at work, I was like, God who? What, what are you talking about? But the reality of the situation is these aren't two separate beings, right? We are both spiritual and physical. We are a combined being, if you will. The spiritual is primary and informs the physical. The world likes to flip that around and say that the physical is primary because I can see it, I can feel it, I can touch it. So it must be the primary. But that's not the way it actually works. It's an inverted understanding. You cannot split this. You can't leave your spiritual life out of it. It informs the rest of your life. So no matter where you're at, your spiritual is going to impact your physical life. And it will give you, a, well, give others around you a definite perspective. This perspective is considered radical by the world, but if it's understood, it is the best tool to understand a right, harmonious, and glorious experience. 
Now there's another tool that's not mentioned directly in this passage, but I wanted to approach it with you today, and it's also drawn to uh, from going through some of these tools here. The fourth tool I wanted to approach today is mentorship. We're talking all this year about leadership. And we're not talking about just elders and deacons, but we're talking about the fact that you yourselves are leaders in your relationship. Now, Joshua did not just arrive on the scene and start telling people what to do. Hey guys, we're going to cross this raging river, and then, you know, for fun, we're going to walk around this city for seven days, and then on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. It'll be fun. You should all join me. I'm Joshua. Joshua was never far from Moses. When the Israelites battled the Amalekites, Moses said to Joshua, take up an army of the strongest men and go out and fight them. I will be with you. I will be standing over the battle with my staff raised above you, and as long as you can see me, you will not lose the battle. Moses had his eye on Joshua to begin with. You also see Joshua appearing with Moses, being his assistant, going with him up the mountain to commune with God, to be in the very presence of God. Joshua was nearby. When Moses went into the went into the meeting tent to meet with God, with the presence of God, Joshua went with him. In fact, the Bible tells us specifically in Exodus that Joshua stayed there. He didn't just show up on the scene, the new guy with the fresh young face. When Moses needed people to go out and spy to the, in the land that God had given them, he sent Joshua, and with him Caleb, as well as ten others. And I have to believe that it is because, because of the time that Joshua had spent with Moses, because of his understanding of the relationship of God, that of all of the spies that went out, it was just Joshua and Caleb that came back and said, oh yeah, this is beautiful, we got this. This is ours. While everyone else said, oh man, there's giants, we can't do this, we're going to die. I have to believe it's because of the time that Joshua spent with Moses, learning about trusting in God in every aspect of your life, that he was able to come back and say, this is ours. So much bounty here. We're taken care of. Because he had that proper perspective that he gained at the feet of Moses understanding it. It's easy to train men and women to do the outworkings of God, but it's another thing to train them to walk humbly with God. Moses understood the work of God as his spiritual work 
and that deeply spiritual nature would help men to accomplish the tasks at hand. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, but it is Joshua who would then lead them into the promised land. Because Moses mentored Joshua, this work he accomplished didn't stop at his death. It continued. So a new generation is prepared. I want you to think about this real quick. For over 38 and a half years, Joshua was led by Moses as his side as the Israelites wandered around the desert. Now, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, who gave a positive report, no one over the age of 20 at the time that they first spied in the land of Canaan would live to see Canaan again. Moses saw it from afar. That was another issue, a disagreement between him and God. Joshua was by Moses' side as, just think about this, best estimates are 1.2 million people. The Israelites walking around, wandering in the desert. Uh, six, uh, you have 600,000 men or warriors alone. So that's uh, about 14,000 days during which all of them would eventually die because of God's judgment. If you average that out, I did some math, Colin, you'd be proud. If you average that out, if you allow a 12-hour day maximum for funerals, you have about 85 people dying a day. You have seven funerals every hour, every day, including the Sabbath, 38 and a half years. That's a lot of death. That's a lot of sorrow. So as you let that sink in, those sheer numbers, that amount of death, I can assure you that seeing that and being there by Moses' side had a deep impact on Joshua as well. It can't not have. He watched that happen, and the memory of death after death and anguish after anguish that he felt over Israel's disobedience undoubtedly intensified his determination. His determination to obey God's command by using the tools that God told him to use, to stand strong, to be courageous, read, study, meditate on the book of instruction. And the fourth tool of mentorship that he spent with his years by Moses' side. So with this in mind, I would like you to answer these three questions for me as we break for our cell groups. Question one. What is your definition of being strong and how does it compare to what we just read in Joshua 1? Be real, be honest. What's your definition of being strong and how does it compare to what we read in Joshua 1? The second question I want you to answer is what tools have you used in your study of the Bible? 
what tools have you used in study of the Bible? If you're going to use tools, if you're going to uh, put them into practice, you have to know what they are. Let's start by identifying what tools you already do use. And third, are you in a mentorship and how has it informed you? It's a good question. Are you in a mentorship and how has it informed you? So take opportunity now, 20 minutes, to go and discuss these three questions and more, and then we'll meet back here and close our service today.